Hello, welcome to the ATC Double Cut. I'm Micah Woods, and we're going to talk about some of the interesting topics on the ATC blog today. I'm excited to announce that today I've got a special guest joining me for the ATC Double Cut to talk about this topic. Please welcome Chris Chase, Christopher Chase, the golf course superintendent at Clearwater Bay Golf and Country Club in Hong Kong. Thanks, Micah. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I miss the old days back when we were together at the Hong Kong Golf Club doing turf trials and things like that. It's been, <laughs> yeah, a, long, I, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. You, when did you go to Hong Kong? Was it 07, 08? Yeah, I, I uh, started at Hong Kong Golf Club in 2008. Um, and yeah, I've been in Hong Kong ever since. Uh, a few different jobs along the way, but, but yeah, I've been based in Hong Kong for 14 years now. Yeah, that's... It's been a nice run, and if anybody doesn't already follow Chris on Twitter, he's got a H. His his Twitter account is at HK Chase, and I highly recommend him as a follow because he posts some wonderful information and some spectacular photos. Clearwater Bay has to be one of the most photogenic golf courses in the world, wouldn't you say? And you get to work there every day, and you've take some amazing photos. Yeah, yeah, Micah, there's no doubt about that. It's, uh, it's honestly one of the most beautiful golf properties I've, I've been to and worked on. And yeah, it's not easy, or it's not hard to, you know, post tw- pictures every day on Twitter, uh, beautiful shots of the course. And, and uh, people ask me, does it ever get old? And honestly, it doesn't. It's just a absolute beautiful place to work. Yeah, it's, and you've got zoysia grass there through the green and then tiff eagle on the green and those little platinum paspalum collars um, that, so so you've got the, I guess those are the three major warm season turf grasses um, for high-end golf courses would be zoysia, uh, ultra dwarf Bermuda grass and seashore paspalum. Yeah, yeah, Mike, I think, I think we're one of the few courses I know of that has all three Got a major warm season grass species on the property, so it's 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 fun to me. It's a unique challenge, but it's, it's fun. I get to manage all three of them. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate you joining me because you, with your 14 years experience working in the region, you've also worked in China, um, in Vietnam when you were working with Witgang, which is really the premier distributor in that part of the world of fertilizers, plant protectant products. Um, were you doing grass sales too through like uh, Atlas Turf Agent at all? Did, did Wittgang do that when you were there? Yeah, 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 yeah. We helped with, we helped with that too. So um, yeah, Wittgang is a long-standing company but in Asia for like 25 years and um, chemical sales, fertilizer sales, we do construction related products um, for bunkers. And then yeah, a big part of my job during my five years there was importing and um, yeah, importing different grass species into Vietnam, into China, into Hong Kong. We did, um, we did Bermudas, we did Platinum Pass Palum, Celebration Bermuda, Tip Eagle, all sorts of grasses. So I was heavily involved in a lot of the uh, construction projects uh, throughout Vietnam, China, and even a little bit in Hong Kong renovations. That is, you, you are the perfect guest for this show, for what I want to talk about. Now, I don't know how much you've read my blog. I'm going to bring up the blog post that I want to get started talking about today. 
uh, this one is a post that I call of trees, turf, and tropical tournament golf. And thinking of that title, um, you also have quite a bit of experience with tournaments. You have, uh, when you were at Hong Kong Golf Club, you were the host of the Hong Kong Open, and then you've also been at uh, at Clearwater Bay. You've hosted one of the PD, PGA Tour China events. So you've got lots of experience with turf. You've got a, lots of experience working in the tropics, and you've got lots of experience with tournament golf. So um, I I want to see if you agree with me about some of these things that I've written. Okay. I, I don't know if... Do you ever read my blog? I do. I do, Micah, yeah. I, I, I read them. I've watched some of your videos on YouTube. and um, Yeah, I go to your website. So it's, I'm not sure I've read them all, but I've read quite a few of them. Okay. Well, cool. This one, this one I wrote originally in, I think, 2014 or something, around the time of the Philippine Open. It's, it starts off with a tweet from a Japanese professional player. Yoshinobu Tsukada. And he shows the eighth hole at Wack Wack Golf and Country Club's East Course. And he the Google translation for this says, exciting specialty number eight, par three. It's hell if you don't get on the green. And this is like a volcano hole. And what you can see in the image that that he shared is from the T you're looking out through a corridor of trees. And then you look out to this volcano green that is elevated up around the surrounding bunkers. It's also surrounded by some pretty big trees. This was from 2014. So I did this post originally in 2014 and I thought it was interesting, especially because of the grasses that are at whack whack and the grasses at Wackwack are zoysia matrella on the putting greens, a fine-bladed zoysia matrella that can tolerate low mowing heights. And the rest of the course, um, actually, the, no, the tees are not carpet grass, but the uh, fairways and rough are tropical carpet grass, Exonopus compressus. And I think that if you are in a tropical environment and you've got a lot of trees, those are the grasses that work. Because there is the cloud shade that I think not not everybody thinks of tropical environments as being cloudy. They might think of Honolulu, which is a pretty sunny place, or Miami, which is a pretty sunny place. But when you get in Southeast Asia, there are large, uh, long times during the year when the temperatures are very high, but it's very cloudy. So if you combine that shade that comes from the clouds, which restricts the amount of photosynthetically available light that the grass can use, and you add on the tree shade, there are big struggles with Bermuda grass and slightly less severe struggles with seashore paspalum. And then you get to carpet grass and zoysia, and they have the fewest struggles in terms of dealing with that shade. Do you do you have any comments about that? No, I mean that's yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It's um absolutely, especially in Hong Kong here, our one of the biggest, I guess, issues we have or restrictions would be sunlight. Um, we do get a lot of uh, 
cloudy days, a lot of fog, even at Clearwater Bay, things like that. So it's, um, we don't quite have the tree shade like that photo, but yeah, a big challenge is managing in Asia, especially is managing grass in low light conditions. So, and uh, generally speaking, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, Zoysia carpet grass do very well in the low light. Um, Bermuda obviously needs a little bit more. And at Hong Kong Golf Club, you had the um, carpet grass in the rough on a lot of those courses. Yeah, the old the old course at Hong Kong Golf Club is uh, is all carpet grass in the rough. That's correct. Yeah. And if I remember right, the Deepwater Bay nine hole course down on the island is is that carpet grass fairways also? It is. It is. Although I, I believe they're converting right now. Uh, slowly converting over to uh, more zoysia. That's what I believe. So, yeah. Okay. And the car- the car- as you know, but the carpet grass does very well, you know, in the low light. Um, as far as playability and aesthetics, that's maybe another issue. Some people, you know, are a bit turned off by the wide leaf blade and and other issues. But um, but certainly does. You can. I- I've seen carpet grass grow almost in no sunlight. You know, right under trees and things like that. So it's a it's good for that purpose. Yeah, it is. It grows right under the trees in surprising amounts of shade. And I'm, I sometimes take pictures in of these like forests that have a pretty good stand of carpet grass growing under them. So I understand that people may not like the wide leaf blade, but it's really the only grass that can grow in some of these places. So if you if you're going to have that amount of shade, you really want to, um, I mean, if you want grass, it's, it's probably carpet grass that you're going to have. And that's when you get into a place like Bangkok, and I've said this many times, I must have some blog posts about this too. If you go to the parks, which are a little bit lower maintenance than golf courses, if you go to the parks and look at lawns in the parks in a purely tropical place like Bangkok, what you'll see is under the drip lines of the trees, you go from the trunk of the tree and you walk out to the drip line, to the edge of the uh, canopy of the branches and leaves. That will be 100% tropical carpet grass. And then as you get outside the tree canopy and get into areas where the sun can pass straight down without passing through a tree, that's where you'll start to see zoysia growing. And in in America, I understand that zoysia is thought of as a type of grass that you'd plant in the shaded areas. So the zoysia is is not a grass really that you think of as a sunny area of grass. It's more thought of as a shade area of grass. Mike, can, can you tr- still hear me? I can hear you. I lost your lost volume, I believe. Oh my. Can you hear me? Hmm. I'm here. Chris, can you hear me? Hello, hello. My, we we may just have to stop this and try again. Hello, Micah, can you hear me? Uh, Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? (laughs) Chris, we can... uh, we can start over. Oh, I what we may do. Chris, 
could. Hey, can you hear me now? Yes, I've yes, I've always been able to hear you, Chris. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. I got a, I got another call that bumped me off. It, so sorry about that. Oh my! You you are very you are busy. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, sorry about that. Well, I I was almost thinking we would just end this and uh, and start over, but it was uh, it's not going to be necessary to do that. We can just continue with our discussion. Okay, great. great. So, so I was talking about the parks in Bangkok and how it's zoysia that grows in the sunny areas and carpet grass that grows under the trees. And that's a little, it's distinctively different from how zoysia might be used in the American Southeast, where you might use Bermuda grass in the sunnier areas and zoysia grass would, would be a grass that is thought of as really ideal for shade. But there's actually so much shade in places like Hong Kong, Bangkok, and Manila that if you, uh, if you, put try to grow zoysia under a tree it will thin out and it uh it it thins out to the degree that it it gets invaded by carpet grass and carpet grass eventually will choke out the zoysia yep, so fair. i i did this blog post and i was trying to explain why those grasses are used because it is a desirable feature i think in a tropical climate to have trees it, it's nice to have big trees i showed a picture of caddies during the dry season at bangsai country club just north of bangkok and the caddies have umbrellas that they're using on a clear day and those umbrellas are used for the purpose of providing shade it is so hot the sun is so bright that it is common to use umbrellas for shade during the sunny weather. If there were big trees around that green that were throwing shade, perhaps those umbrellas would not be required. And I think it's nice to think about uh, a wide open golf course. Um, and in Hong Kong, it gets cold enough in the winter and you've got a spring and autumn where the temperatures are mild. But in Thailand, the average temperature, the average high temperature is always over 30 degrees Celsius. It's always hot. And if you get a golf course that is that doesn't have tree shade, the average golfers tend to note that. So on a new golf course that has very small trees that don't throw shade, if I talk to those uh, the people running that golf course and ask them what is the golfer feedback about your new golf course one of the predictable responses will be they mentioned that there's not enough trees have you have you seen anything like that even and what did you see when when you were working with wit gang and and were a bit involved with some of those construction projects yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're right, Mike. I mean, there's certainly value to trees on a golf course. As a superintendent, it kind of pains me to say it because, you know, we like to grow grass and trees don't always help, you know, to that end. But, um, but yeah, most owners, most stakeholders, I mean, they do want trees. They are, they provide shade, as you said. Um, there's certainly some aesthetic value to them and things like that. So it's, you know, I certainly understand the desire and the need for trees in certain areas. And 
I think, I think it may be even more um, important or comfortable to have trees the closer one gets to the equator, because I think I've I've played golf in Hong Kong when there's been some pretty lovely weather in the November December. Um, maybe I think we played in. Uh, I can't remember when we went and played Calcite Chow, but I remember we were. I was wearing a windbreaker. I've looked at those pictures. It was it was chilly. It was it was after the winter because that seashore paspalum was really uh, heavily pockmarked with dollar spot damage that had happened over the winter. And I looked at those pictures, and I was wearing a long sleeved windbreaker, and it was chilly. So in Hong Kong, you can get the kind of weather where you don't need the cooling effect of shade. But if I'm in Bangkok or Manila or Ho Chi Minh City or Kuala Lumpur or Singapore, I think it it can be daunting to be in a clubhouse looking out on a on an 18-hole property that doesn't have big trees throwing shade and think, I'm going to go walk through the hot sun now and the hot sun and humidity for four hours. Um, be, especially because people are accustomed to being somewhere with, a, if I'm indoors now, I've got a, I don't have air conditioning, but I have a fan blowing on me. Um, and people are accustomed to have air conditioning or fans all the time. And, and I also have shade. I don't have, uh, <laughs> the bright sun shining on me right now. So I, I didn't think this. 20 years ago, I, I would have said, well, who cares about trees? This is about golf. This is about the grass. But I've heard it enough times from golf course architects, players, people who own golf courses in this part of the world or members at these types of clubs. And I've played enough of these places to where I appreciate going uh, and playing golf among rain trees and uh, other types of big trees that cast a tremendous amount of shade yeah no i i certainly understand what you're saying like i think that's also on the same kind of same thought pattern it's why you see more night golf the further or closer to the equator you get you know you get down to Viet southern vietnam and areas like that you can see the lights and just people don't want to be out there during the midday heat that, that um, is if, you never, if you've never played in the tropics of asia I, you know it, it does it's a different kind of a heat so i fully understand what you're saying with the shade and the tr any you can do to stay a little bit cooler um, and more comfortable certainly a benefit and that that is a great point i know in bangkok the night golf is um the pricing for that it's it's a premium price now of course you've got all the electricity going on so so it makes sense that you would be charging more because you've got you have to have the electricity for the lights but people happily pay that premium and it's i know some of the busy courses it's difficult to get a tee time for night golf because that really is the the ideal time to play because people feel it's much more comfortable without the hot sun blazing down on them so it so i guess the point of that in terms of how this relates to my blog posts into grass is that there are particular challenges when you have 
members or owners or clubs that have big trees and they like those trees and you've got all the cloudy weather in the tropics that makes the weather unsuitable for uh, Bermuda grass, for example, all through the course. And that's why in a place like Wack Wack, they're using tropical carpet grass and zoysia metrella on the greens and that just works fine. And what did, what else did I say? I'm going to put a direct link to this. If anybody wants to uh, go read this post themselves and see the photos on their own advice, uh, I'll put a direct link to this in the show notes. And I, I mentioned that these grasses can tolerate low mowing, which is less than five millimeters under appreciable tree shade in a tropical climate. These grasses, um, five... Let's see, five millimeters is a bit under, uh, that's something like 0.2 inches or below. And I mentioned that if one wants to have grass and have trees, then these are the grasses that work. They require minimal inputs, can be mown as short as one likes, and they can be maintained to the highest level for international tournaments. So I, I mentioned that because this was the Philippine Open, which had, it, it was an international tournament. And I know in the past, there have been tournaments at uh, Wack Wack at the old uh, Royal Selangor Golf Club, uh, when they would have had carpet grass in the fairways. Um, and I know a lot of courses change to Bermuda grass and seashore paspalum and zoysia. But that now some courses are going back to put zoysia on the greens also. So I, I showed also some country courses in Thailand. I showed one that is uh, the Kat Udom Sak golf course in, in Chumpon, Thailand. And that, that course has carpet grass fairways and zoysia grass greens. That's an army golf course in Thailand. And I showed one farther down the peninsula in Krabi, the Pakasai Country Club in Krabi, Thailand. This one also has carpet grass around the greens. It's got uh, zoysia metrella, kori zoysia on the greens. And that is something where you can have big trees. You can have 100% grass cover. It's good all year round and anybody can maintain it. Um, and then if I always argue that if you take these very basic courses with very simple maintenance, and if you would take, for example, the type of resources that you have at, um, at Clearwater Bay, and if you take your skills um, and your staffing numbers and your machines and growth regulators and, and uh, light and frequent fertilizer applications and stuff, just imagine what you could do with these grasses that are absolutely impossible to kill, basically, in this type of environment. So I argue for that, not for everywhere, but I, I like to point out that these grasses work well, and a lot of people have fun playing golf on them. So. Yeah, no, Mike, it's, it's yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And it's, every, every site, though, I think it's unique, and it's, Know, it's what grasses work some places may not work others and it's it's a really it's a complicated you know I guess a complicated question you think there'd be more consensus on this by now but it's 
you know, there's so many factors to take into consideration with water quality and, like you said, budgets and, you know, trees. And there's so many factors to consider mm-hmm. selecting the grass. So it's, even now after 14 years, I don't really claim to have the answers as to which grasses work best. <laughs> it's, it's, it, all, it, all, it all depends. I mean, I guess it all just depends on, on the specific environment. Even within Hong Kong, you know, I'm Clearwater Bay, we are right on the ocean. Um, we get very few trees, but we get a breeze. But they take Hong Kong Golf Club. You've been to both, mm-hmm. and there's huge, you know, huge paper bark trees. Huge. I mean, it's two completely different environments, you know, only 15 kilometers apart. So, and they are they still using that Fanling 27 variety of Bermuda? Yeah, yeah, they have not. They've not switched. Uh, you know, they did we, when I was there. Actually, we did test out. Uh, Tiff Eagle on four greens, and that's doing pretty well, also. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's still kind of the local, uh, local Bermuda. So if they have to do any patching work or rebuild a green or something, they'll use from their own nursery and use the Family yeah, Twenty Seven. Yep. Yep. No, you, you've done a couple uh, PGA Tour China events. How many have you done? I I, I just I just did one actually, two thousand eighteen. Then unfortunately, COVID hit after that and kind of shut down the. Ah, uh, that shut that, down the. Yeah, that's right. So, do you and I? I think that Ultra Dwarf Bermuda Grass provides the premier putting surface in for warm season grasses, in in terms of how the ball rolls smoothly, with a minimum amount of work. So you can get really nice seashore paspalum greens. But to get them to roll like Ultra Dwarf Bermuda grass, I think you have to do more work to the seashore paspalum. And the same thing goes for zoysia. You can get pretty good roll on zoysia greens, but you need to do a lot of work. And the to get the ball to roll good on Ultra Dwarf Bermuda grass, I don't think it's necessary to do as much work. Well, I, I not just think, I, I think I know because I've measured it enough times. Um, and, uh, I mean, if somebody disagrees with me, please let me know and, and teach me, <laughs> but, um, can you tell me a little bit about how, what are the tricks to manage ultra dwarf Bermuda grass for tournaments in, uh, a climate like Hong Kong where you can have that quite cloudy weather? Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, it's probably not as complicated as some might think. I mean, we do have very challenging weather, especially in the, the springtime here. You know, temperatures are still relatively low. Uh, the grass isn't growing. Um, we get a lot of fog, a lot of cloudy days, a lot of low light. Um, so that that's probably our most challenging time. We do use a lot of fungicides, I'll be honest, which, you know, fighting off algae, fighting off uh, leaf spot, curvilaria, bipolaris, um, things like that. So you just, you know, we don't we don't push them too hard, especially that time of year with nitrogen or anything like that. We just kind of try to protect the plant the best we can against disease. Um, I do a lot of um, kind of preconditioning, I guess you could say. We do a lot of light, frequent top dressing, a lot of venting. Um, anywhere I think in the tropics, but particularly Hong Kong, it's it's real important I think to get the air and oxygen down to the root zone. Um, try to keep the roots as healthy as you can. So just just basic fundamental good cultural practices um good fungicide programs um things like that now when we get into 
tournaments, you know, whether it's big tournaments or even smaller member tournaments. I, re I really do like the Tiff Eagle because I feel you can really kind of kind of push it, um, dry it out, firm it up, roll, we do dry rolls and verticuts and stuff like that. So it's, so one reason I've always liked Altador Bermudas is that I do feel you can really kind of peak them out or really push them for the for the big events, and they seem to handle that and then bounce back rather quickly. Uh, I can't speak for Zoya. I mean, I've managed a lot of Zoya's in my life, but I've never managed a Zoya's putting green. So I really, I honestly can't speak to Zoya's as a, as a green surface. But um, have you, have you ever put? I, I mean, have you ever played a round of golf on a course with Zoya greens? No, I have not. No. Well, there are. I, I did a little research before this because when I when I was doing all my work in Vietnam. There were maybe 40 or 50 courses, and none of them had Zoysia Greens at that time. But I called some of my colleagues, former colleagues, and I guess there are about five courses now in Vietnam that have uh, Zoysia Greens. Mm -hmm. so it does seem like it's coming along. Um, again, I don't really know how successful it is or how it's going to be. It's kind of a newer thing to me, I guess. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite interesting because Zoysia Greens are, are quite an old thing. Because what you see is the old classic courses have Zoysia Greens. And you have places like Wack Wax East Course, which is Zoysia Greens. You have places like Manila Golf Club, which had Zoysia Greens until 2006. And then they did a renovation and put in Seashore Paspalum. And then that wasn't able to tolerate the shade that they have there. So from about 2013 or 2014, they started a program to rebuild a couple greens every year or resurface a couple greens every year with Zoysia. So now they're back now. At this point, they're now all the greens are back to Zoysia. You have places like Royal Bangkok Sports Club right in the heart of Bangkok, which is Zoysia greens. You have places like Royal Huahin, the oldest course in Thailand, which is going to be celebrating its 100, 100 year anniversary this year or next year, I believe. That has Zoysia Greens. You've got a number of classic courses in Southeast Asia that are Zoysia, and it's quite successful. And yet what happened through the 1990s, when I first came to Asia, it was in 1998. I was at Shanghai Links, and I was always wanted to be a huge Whitgang customer because they had all the products that I wanted to buy, although we didn't always have the budget to buy everything that I uh, requested. But um, so th that was in 1998. And at that time, a lot of courses in uh, that were being built in Asia in the warm season areas were putting Bermuda grass on the greens. And that's when Tiff Eagle was coming in. And uh, so the first Tiff Eagle courses in Asia, I think, were about 1998. And there was Tiff Eagle, and then eventually a little bit of Mini Verde, a little bit of Champion. And then Seashore Paspalum got really popular. I think Tony Taylor uh, did a great job in the late 90s with a project at Thai Country Club in Bangkok and converted that to Seashore Paspalum, not on the greens. They, I think they still had Bermuda grass on the greens, but everywhere else was Seashore Paspalum. And then Amata Spring uh, Country Club in Bangkok opened in about 2005 or 2006. They went ahead and put CIL 2000 on the greens. And that was such a high-profile project that that seems to have triggered a num 
between Thai Country Club and Amata Spring, a lot of courses put in Sichuan Paspalum for a while. So a lot of those courses, those 30 or 40 courses in Vietnam that were built in the late 1990s and then 2000 to 2015 or something, they would have put in, a lot of them put in Seashore Paspalum. Some of them put Seashore Paspalum on the greens also. And then people have seen problems with that. So what's happening now, remember, prior to 1990, a lot of the courses were what I showed, tropical carpet grass and zoysia, and it was working just fine. People were putting in Bermuda. It didn't work so well because of the shade. Then they put in seashore paspalum, struggled for all the reasons that people struggle with seashore paspalum um, when you're irrigating it with clean water. Seashore paspalum, it really is great when you have saline irrigation water, but just because it's a pretty grass, um, when you plant it where there's a lot of rainfall that doesn't have salt in it and your irrigation water doesn't have so much salt in it, the diseases are a lot worse, the weeds are a lot worse, the grass doesn't have nearly as dwarf uh, and fine of a texture as you can get when you're irrigating with salty water and it, it just can struggle. So then more recently people are putting in zoysia again. So it's it's quite interesting and it's fun that we get to uh, observe this and you've kind of been here for all of that. I've, uh, well, I mean, both of us have been here for the later parts of that. So we've we've got a chance to see this uh, with Bermuda grass and with seashore paspalum and with some of the newer zoysias. Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been fun watching kind of the evolution of the different grasses throughout Asia. And, uh, um, one, one interesting aspect about the zoysia, which you know, during my time in Vietnam, the topic certainly came up on many projects. And um, the one issue, everyone's always thinking the environmental conditions, playability and things like that. But what, what seemed to be a hang up, at least during my time, was the, um, the speed of growing. People were always, you know, concerned, you know, about how fast can we open the green up. We have owners and stakeholders. It's, they want to get the project done. They want to get it open fast. And... You know, there was there was concern like is it going to take three months to grow grow in the greens four months some people say six months so I don't know my question my question is I don't have a lot of experience growing in zoysia greens I guess but you know, how long would it take to grow in a zoysia green that seems well, to be a bit I think that that is a great question I think from sprigs uh, if you plant uh, if you plant sprigs, which is the way that ideally I would like to do it, if you have time, I think you'd have full coverage after four months. And I think that you could realistically say we're going to have a, a normal mowing height and the grass may be a little bit lush and a little bit bumpy, but we could open after six months, no problem. That's, that's what I think. Now, in I'll tell you a story about how they do it in Japan, which... Um, used to be almost all zoysia greens and uh, now there's not I mean a, there's a lot more courses that are, are bank grass there now than, than zoysia so zoysia is a bit of a unique thing in Japan although there still are a lot of courses with zoysia a, a few hundred probably um, well it depends because they've got that unique two green system in Japan too so if we think of the courses that have one bent grass green and one zoysia green, um, m perhaps the numbers are even higher. In Japan, it would be unheard of 
to sprig a zoysia green. It's just sodding is the way to go because it, in the colder temperatures of Japan, the numbers that I was giving were for, um, for a tropical type climate or for a American Southeast type of summer. And in fact, um, there's been some research at the university of Tennessee where, um, Tyler Carr has been measuring the grow in time at some, uh, different planting dates with zoysia. And basically he thinks you can get it grown in, in one summer in, in the American Southeast, if you've planted at the right time, but there's a very critical planting window and you're still looking at an, and basically an entire, um, summer you're, you're looking at planting it in like late may and then growing it in in june july august september so again like four months and i've seen those i mean they're yeah it's full coverage but i have pretty high standards for what i want the putting surface to be so i think i don't want to open after four months i i might open after uh six months so yeah i mean that Anyway, I, w one more little story, and then I think this is about long enough for this episode, but I would love to have you back to talk about zoysia greens specifically. Um, but just one quick story. The, one of the really famous courses in Japan that has zoysia greens uh, is Naruo Golf Club, N-A-R-U-O, and that is in Osaka or very near Osaka in the Kansai region of Japan. And I believe if I remember correctly, they are redoing their greens this year. And if I remember correctly, they, they're doing the greens resurfacing project with sod and I believe the sod was laid in February or March, and they're gonna they they're gonna open in the autumn, so they're doing an entire year just to let the sod grow in, and that's how that's how it's typically done in Japan. I've got another interesting story about a course in Bangkok that sodded their greens and opened immediately, but I think that this is. Um, if we start talking about that now, we're going to end up going on and on. So, uh, if it's okay with you, Chris, we'll, uh, start wrapping up this particular episode and come, if you'll join me again on the show, we could talk about Zoysia Green specifically, which I am passionate about. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great, Micah. Yeah. I love, love talking grass. So anytime. Well, cool, Chris, thank you so much for joining me here on the uh on the atc double cut again there will be a direct link to that post that we discussed about uh trees turf and tropical tournament golf again you can follow chris on twitter which i recommend at hk chase c-h-a-s-e and learn more about him if you don't know him already he's a pretty well-known superintendent and we've had a chance to play golf together we've met in malaysia in uh thailand in hong kong um I, so many places i can't remember <laughs> so it's great to have you on the show you, thanks you, a lot you, Chris. Beat, you, beat, you beat me a few times in golf that's <laughs> I, I like to, 
I you'll get me you'll get me someday. Uh, I I think I've been lucky with the way that I've played on on the the times that we've had some matches. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the ATC Double Cut. That was really fun to talk with Chris, and we are passionate about these kind of grasses and the really interesting way that you have some challenges growing these grasses, but some interesting opportunities to work with unique grasses and unique ways of managing it in a tropical environment. Thanks for your interest. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. For ATC from Yantikau, Thailand, I'm Michael Woods.